Welcome back to Samsung Presents, a Burger King Media Have It Your Way politics podcast program. Today in the polls, an in-depth panel conversation about the state of politics today. Election 2016 edition featuring Chaz Braglethorn. Autumn primary madness special inquiry with co-host Darren Kobolpotsky asking, are there three viable general election GOP candidates in play? I'm your host, Chaz Braglethorn. Darren, are there three viable general election GOP candidates in play? Nope. All right, that's our show. I'm Chaz Braglethorn, and on behalf of Darren Kobolpotsky, Samsung, and Burger King, and all the folks here at the Autumn Primary Madness Special Inquiry crew of today in the polls, Election 2016 edition, here's hoping you have it your way. Episode 34. I'm going to go ahead and actually say what episode numbers are again, at least for one show. I've come back through the other side. We're out of the uncanny, innumerate valley. It's episode 34, goddammit. And uh, it's the crapshoot, or it's the we have such craps to shoot you other side of the coin crossover episode because I am Josh Millard. And with me, as always, is Garth. Um, but we also have, uh, it's, you're not really named Garth, you're named Jesse, and I'm, I apologize, I feel bad now. I Garthed oh, you. That's okay, I'll take Garth. But, uh, but, uh, but we have a very special uh, guest, uh, a, a reverso guest from a re- podcast we recorded just yesterday, uh, Yakov Grinberg, my co-host on uh, the horror movie podcast we do called We Have Such Films to Show You, Yakov. Hey, hey, party people. Um, we, we I, I like that in. you mentioned that we recorded this uh, the day after the previous podcast because I want to. <laughs> now it's a race for post processing. Oh, oh yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. The, the, the thing is, my job on We Have Such Films is so much easier than Jesse's job on the crapshoot, but that doesn't mean that I'll actually get. <laughs> we have such films out before he gets a crap shoot out. Cause he like sits down and does work. It's weird. It's like, he's got some sort of work ethic. Uh, it's, it's really I don't recommend that to anybody. Podcast workalism. If, if you can avoid having a work ethic, it's just yeah, a pain no, in the I, ass and nothing I, else. I've, 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 I've tried to avoid it as much as possible my whole life. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Yakov's here. Hi, Yakov. Thanks Yo. for coming on the show. How you doing? Pretty good. It's less weird to have a guest on this show than it is on. We have such films, which Jesse was our very first guest other. And yet it's almost weirder to have you on this than it was to have him on that because I've talked to him about movies, but I've never like a uh, crap shot with you in yes. a real like I mean, I think we've had like, you know, I mean, we've had like plenty of conversations over Gchat and things, but I don't think we've ever actually had a normal human conversation that isn't like either on the on the tail or like the head end of the podcast, uh, at which point yeah, on either end, I probably just really need to pee. Yeah, um, yeah, we never really entrenched in a nice, like, you know, hour and a half long, uh, increasingly drunk and just randomly conversation, which is a shame. And that's why you shouldn't live in Brooklyn. You should live in Portland. I have a better idea. You guys move to Brooklyn. I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you should move to Portland. I've thought about this long and hard, and I'm lazy and like it here. So, uh, so, so yeah, tough. Yeah, in the fuck how long up. have you been in Brooklyn? Um, let me see. I'm 30 years old, so uh, 24 years. That's pretty substantial. 
You found yeah, yourself yeah. at six thinking it's time for me to move to the big city. I gotta, I gotta reinvent my life. I got a hard. Yeah, Russia just, up. you know, I, I just Russia. It was all right there. I mean, but you know, we. I decided to get out, move to Brooklyn, get a loft. Uh, you mean take, then, a, yeah. take a plane? It, you usually just get on a flight. Get a loft is a little bit fancy way to say that. <laughs> um. I didn't know, you I didn't know you lived How? in Russia till you were six. Sorry, we're talking yeah. at the same time, but that yeah, we'll no, no, just no. keep doing that's, that. That's I'm definitely sure. oh, let's let's keep talking about that. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something my... that like like going back briefly to the fact that we haven't had lengthy discussions. I know this about you, but I also know almost nothing about it. We just like we hit it in tiny bits and pieces. I think we talked more about it in the episode we did or the two episodes we did about night watch and day watch. Than oh we yeah, have yeah. In Wait, non- I don't think we ever did a day watch episode. Oh yeah, we were just sort of talking about maybe doing it. I guess I just sort of talked about day watch some. Are they ever going to uh, make the third movie in that trilogy? Because it was a trilogy of books, and I always well, it seems be... unlikely at this point. Yeah, seems very unlikely at this point. Um, I mean, well, unless Russia sounds changes. great. I, I'm I'm glad, <laughs> glad we can just talk over your entire like backstory. <laughs> My origin story? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, No, I mean, I'm from Leningrad, and my family moved to America because of the economic collapse and also rampant anti-Semitism. Oh. Uh, So, yeah, and then we moved to Brooklyn, and I've been mostly here. I lived upstate in Ithaca for a little bit, and I lived in the suburbs of Los Angeles for a little bit, but other than that, yep. I, uh, yeah. I came to I I came and visited New York one time in my life and it was uh it was last year and it was I, a good year yeah I, I thought so with nothing <laughs> yeah last year was pretty to. good um my partner Whitney has been to New York several times and you know she was so like there was almost nothing we talked about with more anticipation than rats in the subway and I and <laughs> it just sort of like like this thing it's like this staple New York experience. And we rode the subway over and over again and never saw a single rat. And it became this joke that was funny to me <laughs> to just constantly <laughs> accuse her of making up the whole rats in the subway thing and that there's not a single rat in New York. Is it? I mean, I we rode to Brooklyn, too, from like Manhattan, from whatever, downtown. Um, we were all over the place and we never saw a single rat. Where were one. you looking Are for there, them? In the, uh, up and down the tracks, mostly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where they usually are. I don't know. I don't... There are... I mean, I think we have more rats than most places, possibly anywhere else. There's a book about it that I've never read, or I, that I've read the back cover to, so I can't tell you. But, um, yeah, there's 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 a lot of rats, uh, but I, I don't see them that frequently on the subway, and in the streets, they're usually only out, you know, at night in the dark where you can't see them very well, even though they're enormous. Right. So what, would you say that the population has gone down in the time you've been there? That you've noticed? I can't imagine it has. Okay, so we just um, got we just got a really lucky cross section of particular stops at particular times, maybe. Yeah, I mean that that could that could very well be it. I mean, the, I mean there was like weeks that would go by without me seeing a uh, a rat, and you know when you're on a subway station waiting for the train, like you know five days a week, twice a day. Yeah, you, that's true. You 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 get to staring at stuff, so. She said she saw um, a grip of them on her last visit, though, and her last visit wasn't, like, weeks and weeks long, so I, I think they, what? maybe she just got lucky last time. Oh, um, oh yeah. Your mom um, got lucky last... Sorry. I, oh! Have you oh, have you seen a rat king? 
I have never seen a Rat King, but I want to believe. I want to believe, too. I insist that they're real, even if there's am, evidence to the contrary. I, I am relieved to hear that this is a want-to-believe situation and not a just <laughs> genuinely-believe situation, because I, I firmly don't, but I can respect the desire to imagine that it's a thing, you know? But, I just uh, assume they, like, don, a Rat King would don a trench coat and come and, like, stand in line at Starbucks behind you or something. Like, that's the prevalence <laughs> I was anticipating. Just a trench coat and a hat <laughs> on yeah. the... Um, just a mess of entangled mass. rats. Yeah. That's you know basically what? how I thought yeah. of New York before I'd ever seen it. But I'm a, I, I was a born and raised West Coast guy, so I might have been... <laughs> might have had a, a poisoned idea of what New York was like. I, I, I wanted to, you know, I, I realized we sort of just have fallen into Chumley discussing and forgot to, like, even discuss things like uh, drinking things, which oh. is a crapshoot tradition. You're not required to, Yakov, but... Uh, oh, no, I, I remember you had mentioned that uh, yeah. you, there are beverages imbibed during this, so I bought myself a beverage and Beautiful. have been imbibing it. Tell, tell me of your beverage. What oh, is your I'm beverage? drinking a six-point sweet action. I don't know uh, that. It's, it is a... Uh, I don't know much about beer. It, it's it's in a fancy can. It's a very uh, graphic designy can. Um, six point craft ale, five point two percent alcohol by volume, thirty four IBU, which is international bitter units. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that what that is? Bitterness units. Bitterness I units. Uh, Thirteen SRM. I don't know what SRM is. I don't know what that is either. That's, and uh, it's an ale. Uh, so yeah. Excellent. I am usually, uh, if as, as far as beer is concerned, have, do you guys remember that Akewood comic where uh, Beef and Molly are on a date and he, in like a fancy French restaurant? He's like, "This do they have such as Coronas?" And that's <laughs> that. That's sort of me. So uh, I, I have no idea what else to mention about this beer. No, that's that, that's sufficient. I am a, I'm a I'm a big beer fan, so I, I tend to have complicated feelings sometimes. But uh, mostly, the feeling I have is I like this. Uh, I'm drinking That's a, a good feeling to have. I'm drinking a monkey's uncle uh, Imperial India Pale Ale, uh, which uh, comes from Alabama. We brought this home from the summer in Alabama. We bought a number of beers and brought them with, including this, because we had drunk some of this and it was pretty tasty. Is it a local Alabamian beer? It is. It's a, it's a Huntsvillian beer, in fact. Oh, and so we we went to straight to ale a couple times and, and had a nice time. But anyway, uh, it's uh, it's nice. It's 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 Imperial tends to mean boozier uh so it, this is like 7.75 which is lahayim you know yeah but uh but I, this is actually chasing a little bit of uh whiskey i was drinking earlier just to just to drink some whiskey because uh because i am fried because it has been a long several days uh covering co- covering extra shifts on metafilter because we're balancing out various trading off vacation time and i i sucked up some of that earlier uh in the month, uh, driving home and, and going to XOXO then. So, so I've been catching up instead and that's, that's fine, but boy, it, it gets a little bit long sometimes. It's been one of those meta talk sort of weekends that, uh, yeah. Meta talk weekend. Yep. Yeah. It's, there, years ago it was proposed in meta talk that we had start a separate like crowdfunding for Josh's scotch, his work scotch. <laughs> um i uh i I went to sleep last night really really looking forward to doing this and i had set it on my calendar and i thought i had set an alarm and stuff but then today i woke up and got caught up in work and stuff and completely entirely until josh messaged me at six o'clock uh had forgotten 
that we were going to be doing this. So uh, the, my my uh, beer selection is uh, the one Coors Light that was left in the back of the refrigerator, <laughs> which is almost gone already. I don't know what I'm going to do when it disappears in the next thirty seconds. But uh, it's got a it's got a pretty aesthetically pleasing silver can uh, Coors logo in in bright red. And uh, the the mountains will uh, be like kind of a rich blue when the can is cold enough for the Coors Corporation to uh, endorse your your drinking temperature. Uh, the, these Rockies are not are no longer that blue. So that yeah, so that's where I'm at. So you you guys are kind of on one level, and I'm kind of on a slightly different level. Do you have any like fortified wine or or uh, maybe you know. what's the word? No, you know, I used to, I used to real keep, a, keep a cocktail kit stocked in, you know, in the house. Yeah, I'm, I used I'm to have a pretty a little, good cross section. Yeah. I still have a ton of mixers. I mean, I could switch to straight vermouth if you really wanted this to be a show. <laughs> no, no, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Don't they should that mix much, the uh, Coors Light and the vermouth. Yeah. And then, right, uh, make a boilermaker out of that. <laughs> what you end up with is, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, that definitely know. sounds like something you get drunk on when you're 17. Just like oh yeah, we we got our hands on Coors Light and Sweet Vermouth. Yeah, <laughs> let's get hammered. I yeah, I mean not not I, I won't say his name, but uh, I I watched a friend put down a bottle of Vermouth in a desperate moment. It wasn't his his <laughs> finest day. <laughs> I mean, it's it's functionally it's just wine. Yeah, it's just Vermouth. Awful. I mean, it's though. not. I, yeah, I, I, it's I, like I, drinking vinegar or something. Yeah, I'm it's not saying not. you should drink it. I'm just saying, like in terms of like you know content, it's not quite like you know downing a bottle of vodka. At least it sounds like you're saying you should drink it, Josh. <laughs> uh, no, I'm saying you should drink it. Oh, okay. I'm, well, I'll I've be got, back I've in a got, minute. I've got several beers in the house and and uh, a liquor cabinet <laughs> with liquor in it, so uh, I'm fine. Thank you. Right. It's, well, uh, at least one of us is prepared. I like how we were talking about the the the, the Russia thing, which is an interesting, fascinating topic. We should plummet depth. Uh, and now I force us all just to talk about something uh, inane out of a sense have. of obligation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's it's weird falling into the the. I think I just wanted a little bit of. I wanted a little bit of stability. I wanted a little bit of you know of a reset after a long day. I just wanted to you know. No, I, under, I understand that. I, have, I don't. Um, I don't think that. I think the show could deal with uh you know more organization, but that's just my anal or ten of tendencies. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have yeah. blue curacao in our house right now. Uh, we threw a, 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 a tiki party, and uh, my wife was very excited and, and bought blue curacao. And then one of my friends got like incredibly hammered off of mostly that. <laughs> um, and then so we still have some now. And also some, uh, have you guys ever had chartreuse? Uh-huh. I have. It's, it's like drinking a Christmas tree. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had it by itself. I think I've just had it mixed in stuff. I've had it. Um, I've only ever like I've I've had it served to me once, like at a friend's house. Um, it was actually um, Greg from from Metafilter. Greg Nog. He served me. It was just uh, it was chartreuse and and ice, just like a very small amount of chartreuse and like ice in in a tumbler. And that's how I've been treating it ever since I got myself bottling it. It's it's really nice. I, I enjoy it a lot. Can I ask you a question, Yakov? Yes. Um, are your ears on your face? Oh, Jesus Christ. No, no your ears are not on your face. Your okay, ears good. are on okay, the side good. of your head. Well, that's settled. No, that's answered. No, no more how, conversation how far necessary. In, how far into your... 
no, how far in does your cover, face Josh, go? No, no, no. This is a different question. <laughs> no, how far like, in oh, does your face go? Unrelated. Where, question yeah, where, where, coming where, from Josh now. Where, where does your face stop? Like moving inward. Like how far into your mouth does your face? Go? Um, the sideburns are like the dividing line, and and even if they're like not actually sideburns, there you can sort of trace it downward. And I, that is the dividing line between face and side of head is that, the sideburn. So that is useful for Jesse so th- far. Th- yeah, that, that, is, that is, well, I, I didn't disagree with you on that point, really. <laughs> and once we settled the ear thing as, as something. Let's check tape on that. But, but to be clear, I want, I, I want to clarify, I, I'm actually asking about facial depth, not, not, not how far back on the head it goes, how far Wait. into the head it goes. Like how far into your mouth does your face go? Where does your face <laughs> stop being? I'm going to say at? when you hit the deepest layer of bone you can hit without it becoming like a total cavern, like an eye socket or the mouth, that is the maximum depth. That is the maximum depth of the face. So like the surface of your literal cheekbone would be, would that be your face or would be that, that be the first moment that it's not your face? If you sort of uh, steadily I mean, in the cheek away area, the flesh of your cheeks. I, hang on, I can't really picture a skull. I got to pull up a picture of a skull. That's strange. I picture skulls constantly. <laughs> yeah, that's not part of the why, human condition, I thought. Why did this autocomplete the skull MP3? <laughs> what is skull? No, now I'm far more interested in what skull MP3 is. MP3 skull, it, oh, it looks, it appears to be a, oh, it's a site where you can download MP3s if you uh, are Serbian? I, I don't know. Sure, oh, why not? Okay. Um, but yeah, okay, so I'm looking at a photo of a skull. It's probably human. Well, I, I'm not sure you actually need a... F- I'm just trying to understand what you're defining. So so you, the cheekbone, the bone that is where under your cheek, right? I want The bone understand. itself is not face. Okay, the, so, the, so if the you... The bones if you, are under the face. If you somehow manage to injure the skin on your face to the point where there's only like a molecule thick layer of, of like uh, endoderm there, but that was still covering your cheekbone, that would still be your face? Yes. And then, and then if that last molecule or so got sheared away... In whatever horrible scenario, apparently I'm imagining, uh, then it would no longer that would no longer be face. That would be the bone under your face. That is correct. Okay, take that haystack problem, fucking Aristotle. All right. Uh, if you All right. Were throw on it, the give moon, me another one. What if, is art? If you no, 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 if, if you were on the moon, uh huh, and you had a baseball, I have a baseball. Could you on the moon? throw the baseball, uh, Jesse? I don't remember exactly how the question goes. Could you throw the baseball? Hard enough that it would leave, I guess, the moon's orbit and hit the sun. Me personally, ideally. and hit or the could sun. A human, ideally, theoretically, the- theoretically, like as a, a so, like if human. somebody who could actually throw a ball fast would do. Yeah, this. I think not, our, not our me te- specifically. Our test yeah, like case Nolan, was Ryan. Nolan Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like, um, like pre-retirement Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan was. I feel like no. I feel like the moon is still too big for that. I agree. Yeah, we all agree. I think. No, I I don't know. You brought this up with a sense of hopefulness, I think, originally. In like oh, absolutely. And and then you ground that under your heel, as you yeah, were wont to do. Yeah. So you agree in the sense that you've submitted to my will. Yeah. Not like you also feel that way. It's more like <laughs> you've been forced to acknowledge the reality that... You've that resigned point, yourself yeah. to... Uh, no, secretly, I still have an internal sense of wonder and, <laughs> and, I mean, you know and what? excitement in- for the universe. Uh, but I try. I tend to hide it from you after that conversation. Considering, like, the way human physiological development has been going, I think maybe one day, like, by the time we're, like, you know, raising, you know, incredibly, you know, we're raising, like, baseball pitchers in tanks instead of inside of people, 
um, or we're growing them inside of tanks rather than inside of people. Like, I think at that point, yeah, maybe you could, like, make some sort of uh, modified Dune-esque human that could throw a baseball really fast because you're no longer allowed to have a machine do it. Sure. Or, like, what about this? We didn't really think about this, but what about um, a, a batter? What if someone, like, took a like, fastball like pancake batter? on like the... S- sentient yes, pancake Josh. batter. That's what I mean. Like it's a non-Newtonian <laughs> Newtonian fluid, so maybe you could take advantage of its reaction. Oh, like you could bounce the, the baseball off yeah. of like a large amount of non-Newtonian fluid. Yeah, uh, I was thinking more like a baseball batter, actually. Like someone who swings a baseball bat in the game. Baseballs of baseball. are primarily made from either wood or aluminum. They're oh, generally not. Baseballs made from, are. Yeah, baseball. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Wait, does yes, the no, baseball wait, that is what fly I faster that is what after I it's hit by... Uh, a pitch is hit. Does it leave the bat faster than it hit the bat? I can almost guarantee it. Okay. As someone who knows fuck all about sports, <laughs> I'm declaring myself the well, expert okay, of, so of it, this it, podcast. It's going to lose some energy to just, you know, uh, the collision. Because it's not going to be a perfectly elastic collision. So it's going right. to lose some energy to that. But the baseball bat is going to transfer energy into it. I don't know. I actually don't know. Well, I don't know. If a, a good batter can hit the ball out of the park, do you think that a good pitcher standing on home plate could throw a ball out of the park? Yeah, that's a really good point. Because, like, yeah, if, if if someone throws, like, a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, it's moving fast. But, yeah, I don't think he could turn around and fling it into the stands. So the baseball's got to be imparting more energy than... Yes, I'm convinced. Well All done. Right. There is a baseball fan listening to this screaming... <laughs> If our audience isn't screaming, we're not doing our job. The crapshoot. Trademark. Uh, um, so, okay. So, what? Okay. So, a, a good, a good uh, Jose Canseco? I don't know. I can't think of a good baseball. There is no batter. such thing as a good Jose Canseco. Okay. Right. <laughs> parallel that universe. Son of a Jose bitch. Canseco. Um, could hit a fastball off of the moon at the sun, maybe. I don't think so. Okay. That's not TBD. Yeah. I, I still, I, I still think, I still think we're probably orders of magnitude below escape velocity. I okay. think you could hit it really far. I think like really far, sure. like impressive, like like holy shit. We should totally have baseball games on the moon. Mm. But no, we. I I don't care what the situation is. We should definitely totally have baseball. Well, yeah, obviously, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> we should have rocket league games on the moon because, like, with a lower gravity, the physics would probably. What are the system rate. specs for that game? I have no idea. I haven't played it. Oh, okay, because I kind of want to play it, but, I mean, and I've got a relatively recent Mac laptop, but I, I don't know if that could pull it. For folks who don't know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, Including me. Because we, we ever explained anything. Really? I thought I'd talk to you about it. Okay, so Rocket League is this newish game. Came out, I don't know, a few months ago. Uh, and it's a game, it's a soccer game, and it's a car driving game. And you drive cars around and hit a soccer ball with your car towards goals. And it's just soccer with cars. Uh, and it sounds kind of idiotic, and apparently it's just the best fucking thing in the world. Hmm. Apparently it's a great deal of fun, because it's a goofy, sort of action-y sports game that's super sloppy yeah, the, and funny Yeah, the competitive weird. aspect of it appears to be, like, not League of Legends. It looks to be, like, people good-naturedly having fun and, like, goofing around, uh, which sounds really appealing, as opposed to... Do do either of you guys play Dota or League of Legends or anything like that? I've avoided the MOBAs entirely. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much just washed out after trying it once or twice. I Um, just never tried at all. Like, like, it's not. I'm not angry at them or anything. I just like 
I was like, oh, this is a thing that's like, you know, it's got sort of a StarCraft lineage, and I, I never liked RTSs to begin with. So, hey, let's take an RTS sort of model, but then let's modify it so it's like super competitive, and any error is death. And also, turns out the community's super fucking vile. And I was just like, yeah, no, no, maybe not. Maybe not. I think if I want to be shouted at by 14-year-olds for being shitty, I'll just play some Counter-Strike. I know how to do that already. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, so let, let's say there's no upper bound on how uh, hard you could hit the baseball. Is it possible <laughs> to hit it in such a way that it circumnavigates the moon and hits you in the back of the head? Yes. It's, it's that's, possible. You, to do that, it doesn't, you're not going beyond escape velocity at that point. Yeah, no. It, 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 you'd have to dial that in. You I could, think. yeah. You could I think totally, you'd have to be able totally, to hit it out of escape velocity in order to be able to. Re- I mean, maybe you could do it once accidentally, but in order to be able to do that like reliably, sure. I think you'd be able to already need to hit it into escape velocity and then just dial it back a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Would you be kind of aiming at the horizon, like trying to hit it low and flat to do that, and just super hard, or were you kind of trying to up arc it up and then into an orbit, like a decaying orbit? I think you'd want to try to arc it up because I think if you aim it like low and 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 flat, it has a higher chance of hitting the surface, right? And then just that messing up the right. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm velocity. thinking like a, a you know million monkeys, million typewriters type of situation where you you basically just get to try forever until you can do it. I'm just curious if it's physically possible to get all the way around without it without hitting it so far that it has to leave the. I, I, yeah, no, you, you, definitively it hasn't hit escape velocity if it's going to come back to hit you right because otherwise it wouldn't come back to hit you because it would have well i'm saying it, 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 it you might to hit it that hard that it gets all the way around the moon you might have to hit it so hard that it would escape anyway and I, so well, i was wondering I, if maybe it was I, impossible i think what we're saying is what <laughs> is i think the real question here is what is the differential between sufficient strength to get it to make a low orbit and then land again on your head right. versus escape velocity and i think it's probably still somewhat significant okay like i think i think you could hit it a lot harder than that and still not hit escape velocity you just get a very eccentric sort of comet like long orbit that was still within the gravitational pull and would eventually come back down that's great. It's see that that satisfies me. The picturing you, you picturing someone okay. hitting a baseball around the moon and then themselves in the back of the head with it is see, just it's a, as it's satisfying to image. me as someone yeah. throwing a baseball into the sun yeah. from the surface <laughs> and, of the moon. And I think that's closer to possible, but probably still out of the realm of human abilities. But I feel like oh, in we terms of how much strength it would take, sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but anyway, yes. No, I think it's a good plan. I think I think that should be your life goal. That what is about how a you should die. Ball? Well, I don't think I, I don't think the ball type is going to make a big difference. I mean, no, I think you can hit a tennis ball much further using a baseball yeah, bat like a than you can baseball a baseball. Bat and ball. Seems like yeah, but I don't think like the orders chance. of magnitude difference is the thing. Like, I, I feel like I feel like we're still talking orders of magnitude to hit escape velocity. I guess maybe a smaller moon, a baseball bat, and a tennis ball. Me and Yakov are going to do and it. The, Josh, you're just going to stay a, home and cry. A sufficiently <laughs> small moon would help, yes. <laughs> a sufficiently small moon, you'd have a lower overall gravity, you'd have a smaller circumference. It, it could totally work. Maybe a, I bet if you were standing on the surface of the Death Star, I feel like you could take a baseball and a baseball bat or a tennis ball and a tennis racket and easily, assuming you had the level precision, maybe you're a Jedi or a Sith, with with enough precision, you would have the the strength to manipulate the the ball and the gravity of the Death Star to hit yourself in the back of the head. I don't want to hear any spoilers for the new Star Trek movie. Call me JJ. Um, 
Let's pretend it's it on purpose just to troll the fans. <laughs> are are either of you excited what, about obviously that? What, I meant. what are your what are your respective feelings on the subject of I get I I'm not like the world's biggest Star Wars fan, but I do get very, very excited about Star Wars. Like I get, I think I I I know more, and like I I think I have a better grip on the Star Trek universe, but I definitely get a lot more excited over Star Wars. So I'm excited. I think um, about I think Star Wars. Star Trek is a little. I mean, I love you know I'm real dyed in the wool in Star Trek also. Um, more probably more than Star Wars, but I think that Star Star Trek is just such an enormous corpus that it's more kind of fault tolerant. Like I kind of don't give that much of a shit about a bad Star Trek movie. Yeah, and I mean, they're always going to make so another one with that. And there's so many stories to yeah. tell in that. Or and like it's a not bad one. entire Star Trek series or two. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> a, a bad yeah. Star Wars movie upsets me more than an, a bad Star Trek entire series and show, yeah. Uh, you know what, do you guys, is is the old Star Trek universe, the, the, the universe that, that the, the, the new Star Trek movies rebooted, is that universe canonically dead? Are they no longer going to be writing, uh, or is there no longer going to be any like canon media in that universe? Here's the thing: I don't really. I mean, I don't. I don't know how to answer that question in terms of like business logistics, but I don't buy the idea of death or invalidation of canon. Like this is a thing that I understand probably matters a lot more to people who care more than I do. Like, like the Star Wars extended universe, for example. I think one of the implications of Disney buying it up was that they were basically retiring that and so that stuff's all now not canon anymore but I'm like who fucking cares canon is not something that comes down from Papal Fiat you know at least when we're talking about anything other than the actual like Catholic canon I guess but uh but you know it's 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 just it's a collection of agreed upon parameters for writing you know so I call the Star Wars extended universe novels uh, that apparently there's a lot of stuff to enjoy in there. If you're into that sort of thing, I've never explored it at all. But there's uh, so many of them that some of them just have to be good, right? Well, I think that's the thing. Like, there's lots of people who like Star Wars, and there's lots of people who are good writers, and there's got to be some overlap there. And so, presumably, it's in there. But the point is, even if it's, regardless of how good it is, you know, all of that stuff was written <laughs> under essentially a common agreement. And in that case, I think a you know surprisingly regimented one where there was actually you know to an extent a you know, extended universe, you know, probably Bible and sort of a licensing authority or whatever. But in any case, it's just a bunch of people saying, okay, well, let's agree on some terms here. Okay. This is the specific universe more or less we're writing within. Like if later Disney buys up Star Wars and says, yeah, no, we're going to go in a different direction. Okay. They're going in a different direction, but those books still exist. That, that work was all there. Someone can sit down and write more in that if they want to. It's like, I don't really give a shit what any, controlling corporation with ip rights says about canonicity i just kind of want people to like enjoy the stories they enjoy and can't everybody get along and you know i've i've had such a long day i mean <laughs> such a i just want everybody to fucking hug it out uh and yeah. i mean i guess it's the que- the question is if they're if they're canon then doesn't the new movies being sequels to the uh, original three movies wouldn't I, they have to fit into the same stories and universe and not conflict like a character can't die in one that didn't die at that same time in the other or, or whatever and it seems yeah, like anyone why... who likes the universe would would not want that to be the case right they they would want the writers of the new movies to have free reign to tell the story they want to tell if they have any faith in those writers rather than either threading some insane needle and having it 
not conflict with any of the surely hundreds of you know books and comics and video games and stuff that take place after the Death Star is destroyed, um, or, or just retell one of those stories that we've already heard before. I think any any fan would want to actually it to be a new story, even though that inherently has to conflict with canon. But maybe there's a counter argument to that. I don't know. I mean, I definitely appreciate them just in, you know, effectively invalidating canon as canon and leaving it as like, I don't know, a corpus of apocrypha or something. Well, right, there's the term um, fanon, as in fan canon, as in like secondary. It's true until it's conflicted with by the official quote unquote canon. But I think it's, it's, I don't think it counts as fanon because it was downgraded. At one point, it did stand as canon. Yeah. As far as anybody who cares about canon is concerned. And didn't Lucas even come out and say that at one point? Like, sure, all those things are just as true as the movies if you want them to be. Well, the thing is, it's, it's, it's not like we're talking about like writing off a bad episode. Like, if you've got like, you know, 120 episodes of a TV show and you're like, oh, that one. Let's just all pretend that never happened. That's one thing. But if you if yeah. you reboot a TV show and say, "Oh, most of that stuff didn't happen," something like that happened. That's like you can't really make that go away. You can't undo the existence of that in the hearts and minds of a bunch of fans. And I think you know the fact that the text continues to exist. It, it, it's a bifurcation. It's not. It's not a replacement. Like you know, maybe replacing someone's writing priority for new projects but it's not actually replacing the existing text. It's just saying, okay, a parallel track in this general story universe now exists as well. So we've got like a, a, a Catholic Star Wars canon and then an Orthodox <laughs> right, right. Star Wars canon. This is what, in a hundred uh, years, this is what wars are going to be fought over, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I think that was the stroke of genius in the Abrams uh, Star Trek reboot. Was that I wouldn't go as far as stroke it. of genius. I, think I would it say was. stroke I really not think give it was. a fuck, <laughs> I, which no, is be, good. Well, okay, let, please let me finish please my sentence, you son I of a guess, bitch bastard. I guess. I guess I will. <laughs> I guess I will. Um, I'll allow it. Was 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 making it canonical, even though it tells the stories in a different way, by having a branching universe thing written into the incidents of the movie, which, you know, and then that gets him an excuse to bring Leonard Nimoy in as a kind of a cross-universe uh, communicator of like, okay, well, I'm from the universe in which I'm the one who Spock develops into, and this is a different universe, which takes a different path and tells the stories that we know from the existing media and tells them differently with different actors behaving differently, but that it still fits canonically in there because of a classic Star Trekism, which is the split universe parallel, you know, universe hopping thing. I thought that was, I thought that specifically was genius. I, I thought it was, I thought it was reasonably clever and a good sort of not giving a fuck, just doing the thing you want to do thing on his part. Like, I don't think it was bad at all. I just think genius is not the word. I, would I mean, give, I feel I like if you're in the writer's room, it's the it, it's probably like, okay, so guys, how do we fit this together in with the regular universe? It's like, okay, what if they're parallel universes? Done. And that's, you know, that's how you get that. I, I think it's, um, I don't know, I, I, I can't think of anything more Occam's razory than that in a, as a way to link the two movies when you know you're going to be doing different things with them that yeah. come well, the, into conflict. The simplest thing to do is to not give a shit, just like every single other reboot in the history of the universe has not given a shit. And so I thought, I don't know, I thought it was I thought it was clever of them to try, and I thought they pulled it off it pretty was clever. I, I think they knew that Star Trek fans wouldn't stand for that. 
a universe reboot? If they're still relying... If they just what? said, fuck it, no, we won't explain why it's different. Yeah. Like, yeah you know, I, I, I think there would be a mass revolt of Star Trek fans. I don't know that, they, I don't know that those movies are for Star Trek fans as much as they are for just kind of like popcorn action flick fans I, anyway. Well, that's that's kind of dicey, though. I mean, I appreciate the idea that you could just go after a wholly new jet, like demographic, but you know the engine driving the PR... Like, if you literally wanted to yeah, say... The, the, we're, the we're, franchise we're make comes with like a baked-in audience. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if, if they had literally said, oh, well, we're not making Star Trek. We're making something else that's just kind of like Star Trek. And so we're going to call it, you know, Space Town. Uh, uh, come see our new movie, Space Town, starring people who weren't in Star Trek. You know, people be like, uh, oh, it sounds, I like guess, kind of interesting because it was a sci-fi fan. But Star Trek, the film, obviously, is like banking heavily off the uh, collective nostalgia and uh, hunger for new material within that specific franchise. So I mean, like, I think the the overlap of people who are Star Trek fans consider themselves to be Star Trek fans and don't see that movie is the people who would be actively protesting it. <laughs> and I think that's a very small number of people. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the new movie, but I don't really care too much. Is there a new Star Trek movie? No, no, no. Star Wars is oh. how we got on this whole, uh, this whole thing about canonicity. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I just like saying canonicity, honestly. Like that's probably a word. Do you like the lightsaber with the cross? What's what's your opinion on the lightsaber with the cross guard? Uh, my my the, opinion on it is that I really liked the uh, the edit someone did that turned into a menorah. I thought that was pretty solid. <laughs> I enjoyed that one as well. I didn't see that one. I saw the one where it unfolds like a Swiss Army knife with a bunch of other <laughs> attachments. Uh, really, how I feel about it is it looks fucking ridiculous. Like a lightsaber is already a dangerous fucking thing. You guys, okay? So Shadowrun. Let's let's diverge briefly to Shadowrun. Yakov, you have Shadowrun background at all? I have played the video, the 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 last two video oh, okay. games. The the uh, and I mean I'm relatively familiar with the universe. It's just cyberpunk with elves, right? Basically, Jesse. Uh, I'm an enormous fan of the cover art for Shadowrun, which I've <laughs> oh yeah saw yeah in a lot I of did. like video game magazines around the time and really loved. Oh, yeah. Where it's like this like elven hacker while is being covered by an elven Uzi holding punk rocker or whatever uh yeah. never played it okay so so i was exposed to it in high school and never played it either at the time but like like the idea because i had a friend who was super into it and was super into cyberpunk shit but the thing that he explained breathlessly one time that has always stuck with me is like the definitive uh shadow run thing which is probably not fair to shadow run at all but it was the idea of the monofilament whip and this was a weapon that was like a single molecular chain of some hard bonded molecule that you could use to just literally slice shit up. Like it was like a tiny, it was so thin it would cut through anything instantly. And I was like, no one would not immediately kill themselves with this thing. Mm. That, like there's um, no way. The first time you're like, oh, this looks pretty cool. <laughs> you're dead. You know, it's like, it's a fucking suicide test. Like how dumb are you? You're dead because you picked up the monofilament and went and moved it at all. And that's how I feel about the lightsaber to a lesser extent. Like, a sword is kind of a dangerous thing in the first place. And, like, if you're just an idiot and grab a sword, like, whoa, you're going to hurt yourself really badly. But at least it would stop. Like, you're not, if you're sort of swinging a sword around in a dumb way, you're going to cut into your shin and be like, oh, fuck. And you're going to need to go to the hospital. But you'll probably still have your leg unless you were really trying to take it off. A lightsaber is just going to glide right through that shit. It's just, it's like butter. <laughs> like a, a lightsaber is going to fuck yourself yeah. up real bad if you are not like Bruce fucking Lee. And the thing is, you throw some extra side things that stick off so that you can hit yourself even more easily. Like, I understand the idea it's a cross guard, like it'll stop someone else's lightsaber. 
And I understand Jedis are magical ninjas and shit, but still, I feel like a lot of people are going to take one right in the fucking kidney from their own lightsaber cross guard. And that's why we haven't seen that before. And I hope that guy pulls that out two minutes later, trips and kills himself on it. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping the new Star Wars is a fucking slapstick comedy wherein everything that should have gone wrong in the previous six films goes wrong. And then at the end of the day, an accountant's like, well, that was quite a mess, but let me do your taxes. And then he's the only guy who lives. That's, that's I think, what's going to happen. And that accountant will be Luke Skywalker. Huh. Why do you think they didn't put you in charge of the reboot? I, they're fucking idiots is why. They don't, oh, okay. they don't know a good thing when they see it coming. Actually, uh, it was just office politics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break. I am going to get another beer. Will you say, and we're back? And we're back. There we go. <laughs> I feel good about that. Good. Um, and we're back. <laughs> yeah, that's the one we'll use. Um, Yakov, are you uh, bilingual? I am bilingual. Can you can, can you speak Russian? Uh, yeah. R- yeah r- I right can, now, I, for me? For oh, my entertainment? Um, yeah, sure. Dance. Uh, dance. <laughs> give me a, a phrase to translate. Uh, my, to say in Russian. Uh... uh Two turntables and a microphone. I don't know how to say turntables. <laughs> just never came up. <laughs> I, I wish that the LED light on my Xbox 360 were brown. I wish that the small light on my Xbox was uh, When God wants to punish you, he gives you what you're asking for. Когда Бог хочет наказать вас, он даст вам то, что вы хотите. It's delightful to hear this. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Sorry. Can I go, can I can I go for a deep complicated cross-cultural cut here and 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 call back a recent MetaTalk thread and and ask for in America everyone's looking for a party in Soviet Russia party is always looking for you. That works. Well, that's a, that's a class. <laughs> that's you know what? It, it's, that's an it actual ranks spin-off joke. in the top five percent of in Soviet Russia jokes because it works. Well, it's an it's an actual Yakov Smirnov joke too. Oh, is that's it? A thing. Yeah, yeah. It's one I, of his. Actual you know what? Lines. I really wanted to go to Branson to see him, but then somebody asked on Metafilter a question about going to uh, Branson as a you know a, a, as a gay couple, and everybody's just like, "Whoa, no, no, you." probably uh, would not want to do that and uh, i'm not gay and married to a woman but i feel like that that alone is enough to be like i don't think we're gonna go there. it's yeah it's a it, like i have a yeah that's a destination like if i was in the vicinity of branson like i have we've never we've never really talked about this at length actually maybe we should dig into this so so i think at some point like 20 episodes into our podcast i finally was like oh yeah you know yakov 
Yakov Smirnov. And then you were like, eh, and then we just sort of never talked about it again. Uh, Cause there wasn't really anything to say there. But the thing is like, I, as, <laughs> because, because why is that your name you're Yakov, even compelled to say? Because it's okay, like because, when I told you my partner's name was Whitney and you were like, yeah, like Whitney Houston. And it's like, that's, that's not even a joke, Josh. Yeah, it was the not, first thing that you I thought and you said it. I would have guessed I would have said like, like Whitney uh, Streber or is that what is this? Whitney Streber, uh, the, the community books uh well what you said was whitney houston and it's on record because it was okay. on the crap shoot episode. i, be- I believe you I'm just alien a, abduction books I'm, yeah no i'm just surprised that's where i wanted yeah no Whit- whitley whitley streber i guess would be a terrible anyway uh yeah basically along those lines that's the way my brain works at basically all time sure. and shockingly yakov didn't take the bait and just have a delightful <laughs> conversation with you about how similar well, i'm sure I, yeah i'm sure i gave it absolutely nothing <laughs> i probably just let off with an actual clumsy yakov smirnov shtick but the thing is as a kid i loved yakov smirnov like he was like, if I had a favorite comedian as a kid, it was definitely him. I just I liked his specific shit. I had no context for it. Like I didn't understand even the concept of Soviet Russia, let alone the comparative politics of U.S. and Russia and the fall of the Soviet Union eventually, and the Soviet bloc before that, and communism, and and the idea of a transplanted you know Russian comedian in America making jokes about like none of this worked for me as like, you know, a seven year old in 1986, <laughs> but I still liked it. Like it was, it was like Yakov Smirnov and Dr. Demendo and weird Al and this one Yogi bear storytelling cassette tape I had. And that was kind of my, that was my comedy landscape as like, you know, a prepubescent child, you know? And so Yakov Smirnov, I, I, I just have a tremendous amount of like vague childhood affection for, and, and, the the turnaround on this is like that just sort of like that never advanced anywhere. I never like learned more about him other than he did in fact like start a nightclub in Branson or something. Uh, and that's like where my knowledge stops. And then that just sort of got frozen in time. And then two things happened that slightly developed it. One was I started doing a podcast with Yakov, which is when I found out that your name was Yakov because I'd known you as Griffiths forever. And actually I'd known you as Gryphus cause that's how I had said it in my head. <laughs> but anyway, I'd known you as that for Metafilter for a long time, but only when we started doing the podcast did I actually finally connect real names and false names, even though I think I had the opportunity to know your real name before that. They just don't stick until I have like an actual like direct connection there. So, so I was like, Yakov. Oh, okay. Or, or Yakov as, as I prefer to say it in my brain really, but, but anyway, I'm, I'm trying to get better about like how you actually say your own fucking name, uh, which is probably how, uh, Shmirnov actually said his own name too. But in any case, I sort of had this, Oh, Yakov as a name other than just the name of that guy. I liked when I was a kid. And then there was the recent meta talk discussion, uh, where someone made some, Oh God, it was Michelle in California titled her, meta talk thread with like a vaguely Yakov Shmirnov shtick that didn't even quite work. But anyway, it was clearly riffing on that in Soviet Russia or whatever. And you basically said at some point in that thread, I think this was like, tell me if I've got this wrong, but you basically said, eh, you know, maybe not so much with the tired sort of vaguely, maybe sort of vaguely, you know, xenophobic, uh, in Soviet Russia jokes that just sound like you don't know anything about Russia. I don't remember exactly how you put it, but basically you said, eh, you know, maybe not so much with the tired fucking shtick which was a reasonable thing to say. And then there was a certain amount of bumpiness like, Oh, but you know, tired fucking shtick. That's what I like to do, you know? And, and I stayed the hell out of that entire line of discussion, but I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is totally a thing that like exists outside of the scope of things. I vaguely liked as a seven year old. And, uh, and, and so it was sort of interesting to stop and think about it basically is, is the entire, I think that's my thesis 
It was interesting to stop and think about vaguely liking things as a seven-year-old and thus feeling an instinctual need to defend being kind of a <laughs> dumbass 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this might be... I don't know, maybe is this one of those things where they're like the, the mild generation gap between us is more visible? Because, I mean, by the time that, you know, when I was six or seven at that point, he was no longer like a pop culture... Like, him, he himself was no longer like a pop culture thing, but like him as a, a, a joke or him as like a punchline or as, you know, like a cameo or something to use was very big and like sort of hit its height in the early nineties. Um, and yeah, I think that might be like a large part of it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like the timing was just right there. It's well, it's such a like easy to pick up formula that no, no wonder it gets yeah. adopted so quickly by like internet commenters and forum denizens and stuff that that yeah, don't really a, can't really come up with their own joke format, but can readily adopt an obvious one and carry carry that off as a punchline. Wasn't there there was a, there was a jargon file term for the kind of thing that it is? Snow clone is that a thing? I think oh. that's right. Yes. Yeah. Is it a snow clone? Yeah, it's not. That that's not. Uh, did that find its way into the jargon file? That's like a. It's a language log thing specifically. Hmm. Oh, is um, it? I I could never. I mean, I it's one or the other. Yeah, I, I I had a really intense following of language log period for several years. I still like it and like the guys post there, but uh, but I sort of lost track of of the blog on a regular basis at some point when I got distracted, probably about the time that I started working for Metafilter and didn't have to kill quite as much time on the internet. Uh, <laughs> well, but a couple of guys from language log are right, are not regulars, but they're on Metafilter. Mark Lieberman, uh, who is, I think sort of like the organizing honcho on language log is a Metafilter member and shows up every once in a while and asks me to be annoyed at people. Plus there's regular readers. Language hat, uh, has been a language log reader off and on over the years and, and God bless him, Ethereal Bly as well. Um, so yeah, there's a weird little sort of language log meta filter crossover in, in small numbers there. But, uh, I don't remember where I'm going with this, but anyway, yes, language log is a thing that snow clones, snow clones. Is that, that's where snow clones is from? Yeah. Or at least from that affiliation, maybe one of the guys who's a regular on or regularly written about by language log, uh, they definitely have written a bunch about snow clones as a phenomenon, which people who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, a snow clone um, is a phrase that gets templatized, I would say, like made into a template um, where the original phrase is sort of treated as a structural basis for other variant phrases that don't necessarily have anything semantically to do with that phrase, but have a very identifiable form in common with it. Um and the, the name snow clone comes from the idea that, you know, Eskimos have 120 words for snow. And so people think if Eskimos have 120 words for snow, then dogs have, you know, 30 words for licking your own balls. Uh, that is not an actual example. I just can't think of a good one at the moment. But the point <laughs> is you, you, you find so X has a Y or they say X is the Z of Q, you know, and you take that structure and then you can throw in other nouns. So the idea is that you were sort of cloning the Eskimo snow meme by slapping in other uh, uh, nouns and verbs in place of the original thing. So it has the same structure, even though it has a different meaning. Right. And that's a snow clone. Right. So that in Soviet Russia, X blanks U or, you know, Z 
X's Y or whatever. Yeah, it's 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 a snow clone. I think the in Soviet Russia thing makes it almost a little bit some, something slightly more specific. Like it still always remains a reference to like Yakov Smirnov's oeuvre, but uh, but it's definitely the same sort of phenomena there. Yeah, the way you can sort of mad lib it up into its own thing. Right, or or like uh, you know. I don't always X, but when I do, it's Y. Or yeah, you know, it's a mo- maybe more. Modern yeah, it's example. it's a very co- yeah. I mean, it's it's what what's what's the meme term for it? Exploitable. Yeah. When the, you have a a image into which you could easily uh, Photoshop text or or just something into like a blank space, it's it's the pure language equivalent of that. Right. Um, or Josh's favorite: um, keep calm and blank blank. <laughs> <laughs> Something that oh, those were witty seeing. for maybe like oh, two days. We were just talking, yeah, you know. And I, I, I made a couple of those myself, and and honestly, I feel like I did an okay job of the ones I did. But I'm like, that's that's something where I get really picky about like structural integrity. Like, I feel like you can really fuck up the. <laughs> I spent, well, with something so limited, like like this is the thing that and uh, this is just a say by William Carlos Williams. I'm also a huge fan of dumb riffs on, <laughs> but you have to riff on it correctly. The thing is. This is just to say, which in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about here, there's a poet named William Carlos Williams. Look him up, motherfuckers. A couple of really common poems by him are This is Just a Say and The Red Wheelbarrow. Uh, and This is Just a Say is a classic 12-line poem with a very fixed structure, and it's, and the title is This is Just a Say, and I can recite the poem from memory, I'm sure, even though I haven't thought it through at the moment. This is just to say, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. And the thing is, it's got a very strict meter. Like It's not like a rhyming meter, obviously. It's not a regular meter, but it's got a very specific sort of meter and and, and sense of spacing and pacing and sort of assonance and consonants in there that, that really makes the poem what it is. And people riff on this and sometimes they riff on it really well by respecting that meter and sort of like replacing words in a way that seems sort of doting and careful. And sometimes they're just like, they get as far as I have eaten the whatever I'm going to go jack off. Let's talk about Sopranos later. I really liked that show. And it's like, no, that is not how you do it. That is a violation of the fucking social contract around riffing on poems, you motherfucker. Uh, yeah, I am super, super glad for... I, I was an English major in my... The, the, the attempt at college from which I actually graduated. Were you the very model time. modern English majorer? Um, oh, God, I really wish I knew more <laughs> words to that song, and then, you know, we could just break out into it. I really but wish I'd come up with something better than majorer. Thing. <laughs> See, there, there's my there's my devotion to the, the, the meter and the scansion. I'm going to make up a fucking non-existent shitty word that a kindergartner would say because it fucking fits the meter because you fit the meter, you assholes. But yeah, yeah, no, if you, like, I think, like, the one or two times I've, like, written parodies of that, no, you were, like, sitting there and, like, count, tapping out syllables and counting, um, you know, count, counting the meter and then figuring out where the, the uh, what do you call it? The rising and falling. Uh, uh, what do you call it? I, I, I've run out of vocabulary for the thing I know how to do in my head. The, the, which the, is the penis. A common occurrence. The rising the and falling penis. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, the penis of each. Yeah, the vowel. penis of the poem. Um, the penis of the I am. <laughs> um, yeah, that. So yeah, you got to count those if you're going to do a parody of it. You can't just eyeball it. 
someone should do a rewrite of Sam I Am in iambic pentameter because it's like you know Sam I Am. Ick. Well, I am Sam. Sam I Am. Do you like Ick. green eggs? It kind of is almost. Maybe it already is. I mean, not pentameter necessarily, but. Have you have you seen that uh, the the Twitter bot that I had to like unfollow because it tweeted too much that uh, retweeted two different things it found that rhyme in iambic pentameter? Yes. Uh, which one are we talking about? Uh, shit, because I think I follow a couple of those, and I follow <laughs> enough other people and bots that like it's it's spread out. But like, is it like the rapid news one or? No, no, that no one, it just that tweets not two completely random tweets that it locates that are in iambic pentameter and rhyme with each other. Nice. I, so it's just couplets. I think I knew of that one. I think I may have known that specifically because it's like a metafilter thing. No, I was thinking of yeah. these raps, which does a similar sort of thing, but it just rhymes uh, a line from some song in the rap corpus with some random line from a news story. And so, like, the most recent one I see in my timeline here is, me like to smoke the bud, but my eyes, they get all red. This is a major embarrassment to this government, Sammy said. Uh, and it's interesting, because, like, it's, it's, it's funny, and I like it, and I feel like what happens is, I think I see the ones that, well, I, I guess I see all of them, they're just like, it's a couple of day. As for Trump, I don't know what he wants, Holtz Eakin said. It's a problem getting out of the bed. Uh, apparently I need to do Christopher Walken in order to read anything resembling a rap lyric to compensate. But, uh, but it's, it's great, but sometimes it's super fucking dark. Cause it's like, Hey, let's take something from a rap song and also a terrible detail from a news story about murder right. or death or rape or something. And, uh, it, it's both great and, uh, and also occasionally actually terrible. My, my current, uh, Twitter bot love affair is Arrowid recruiter. Do you know this one? Yeah. No. Oh, I. They. There was just. A, I think we've I mean, talked about this before, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a. Uh, it's a Markov combination of arrowid.com or .org or whatever. Uh, like d- psychedelic trip reports and like. Uh, recruiter recruiter stuff. recruitment emails. Yeah, like oh, right, LinkedIn right, right, recruiter yeah. type emails. Um. There was just like a couple of days ago. There was a very very funny one that I had retweeted after like a very long time of never <laughs> retweeting anything from them. Um. Alex, God, I came across it. your profile on LinkedIn as I plummeted, ripped and torn in darkness <laughs> with splinters of glass. <laughs> oh, here it is. Um, Bob, are you open to having full-blown opiate withdrawals, things getting bigger and smaller? <laughs> <laughs> I remembered more of it. I see a desolate wasteland and a wellness program. Our office is located in San Francisco. <laughs> Um, so that's a good one. <laughs> oh, I just pulled up the Favstar on it. Uh, you can no longer see the top tweet in Favstar. Did you know that? Huh. What the fuck is Favstar? <laughs> not, not, wait, did you say Favstar? I did, because that's what I thought you just said twice. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's not, no, not, I don't know what Favstar is. I do not endorse okay, it in any way. don't tell Josh about Favstar. He'll this never is, get off of it. <laughs> this is a family podcast, sir. <laughs> No, Fav You're playing Star dumb really me. well. Don't tell Josh. <laughs> Favstar. I don't know Favstar. I don't. Um, I'm sure it you just, do. Uh, Favstar. Favstar. It's like oh, the, is it Favstar? It's like the yeah. It's the it's it ranks a user's tweets by how many favorites they've gotten. It's oh, just Jesus. like uses no, I'm the pretty, Twitter API. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't know this because that's like exactly the sort of shit I would stay the fuck away from. I, it's one of those <laughs> things like everyone on quote unquote weird Twitter links to their own Favstar in their bio or whatever. It's just Ugh. sort of like a side channel thing 
just using the Twitter API to do something that Twitter kind of expressly doesn't do, which is, you know, rank <laughs> someone's tweets. Yeah. yeah. But here's the second one for Arrowhead Recruiter, because I can't pull up the first one. Experience with consuming and building... Wait, experience with consuming and building a tool that integrates multiple APIs into a chaotic fuckfest of naked and violent imagery. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good API. It's an API I want to use. Uh, okay, let me ask you... Uh, Yakov, let me ask you a question. Okay. Are your ears on your face? Hmm. Yes, I, I, they are. All right, so yes, settled forever. This podcast uh, lapped itself already. <laughs> We're not even an hour in. I just, I'm just pretending this is like you know, just replaying a uh, RPG where it's just like they ask you a question and you just choose the other part to see if something different happens. I want to make a ROM hack of Dragon Warrior now, where the princess asks Erdrick, "Dost thou think your ears on your on your face?" And if you say no, she says, "But thou must," and then asks the question again. That would be amazing. Amazing might be a little bit. No, I'm pretty sure it's amazing. Of an exaggeration, amazing. Like okay. no, no. Is this Dragon whatsoever. Warrior One or Dragon Warrior Two? The original, the original. I never had that one. I had Dragon Warrior Two, and I could not make head or tail of it. What with not being able to read English very well, and also being seven. Ah, uh, you dumb a- Russian kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you guys came to you get, you came to America. You were like, yeah. you know, fuck Stalinism or whatever. Uh, well, at that point, it was uh, Perestroika. How do, you, how do you pronounce that in English? Perestroika. Perestroika. <laughs> Perestroika. <laughs> we, we get almost Australian. Pa- pa- Perestroika. It's, it's a little bit flattering to think of that as the English pronunciation and not just the shitty American bastardization <laughs> of the right pronunciation. So you know, thanks. Actually, that's, that's really generous of you, frankly. My... My strategy for words, when if I'm, I, I have to speak in Russian at work occasionally. Well, I mean, my family is um, mostly dead, so I don't have to speak with them. But I do have to speak to clients at work, um, you know, on the on the phone in Russian. And my strategy for uh, my strategy for doing that with words that I don't know that I don't have vocabulary for is I just say the English word in in like in Russian syllables <laughs> and hope they understand what I mean. And it works quite a lot of the time. So you're just like um, Nintendo. Yeah. Well well over there's Nintendo's an English word. <laughs> well no it's it's totally an English word. It's an English word based on a Japanese word. Okay. Like it's not pronounced Nintendo in Japanese. It's Nintendo. Um, well, it's, it's well, it's it's a loan word, right? And I'm yeah. probably you know English. I'm sure has plenty of loan words to other languages too. Oh, sure, certainly. becoming you know essentially the de facto language of the internet. It's yeah. I understand it. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I kind of, yeah. I kind of, I kind of wonder about like the chain of loan words. This is actually something I don't know anything about. But I like like loan words. The concept of loan words. The idea that one language borrows a word from another language. Totally straightforward, and it totally makes sense. And language, language, you know, it's a very straightforward idea. You you adapt it. Uh, you know, phonetically to whatever works in the local language. And and Japanese has a ton of English loan words. English has a ton of English has a lot of loan words, but English's history is a really complicated set of like straight up adopting a lot of words too. So like there's, you can think of plenty of like, you know, Latin and French words that we use that are like loan words that are distinctly French or Latin or German or whatever. But there's a lot of words in our vocabulary that have just become completely naturalized over time too to the point where we just think of them as English words. But but where I was going with this is I I kind of wonder about the degree of Kevin Baconing of loan words. Like, 
Is Nintendo a word that every other language borrows from the Japanese Nintendo? Or is it a word that maybe because of the American video game market and the Japanese video game market, do other languages, how many other languages pick up Nintendo from the English adoption of Nintendo rather than directly from the Japanese because of our relative dominance culturally in the video game market? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I think that word hit like a peak of like ubiquity long enough ago that I think it was between, I think the US and Japan can take like a roughly equal amount of credit for just having that word be adopted globally just because of when adoption of that word hit its peak, yeah. uh, you know, the US video game market wasn't like, it's not like it is now, you know, it, it was just, just recovering from the crash and Nintendo was what it recovered by way of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Japan didn't have that crash. They, I mean, wait, did they? I mean, the crash was mostly like an American. I Western think it was mostly thing, a Western crash. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't have that. They have a different history. I've of, even heard, you know, I've heard the argument that it wasn't so much a crash as just sort of a recession that was particularly bad for Atari. I mean, you had, it's, there was just a glut of inexpensive product and you just couldn't bake any money off that until Nintendo figured out how to do it with, you know, extremely restrictive licensing and, and first party development. Yeah. Like it was, it was just like, uh, I was, it was not restricting uh, third party releases for your console that, you know, caused the, basically caused the crash in the first place. There was just so many knockoff Atari carts. You couldn't differentiate stock and it, you know, it, it, drove down the price of everything so you know when nintendo came on the scene they had that like incredibly restrictive where like any i think it was any developer working on an nes title cannot work or cannot work on anything that will be released on anything but the nes or you were you were like locked in as a individual programmer to the nes when it it just came out um like i mean you know, I don't know, maybe if you switched firms or something, but like if you were doing NES, that, that's that's all you were doing and you were only releasing it for on that game that you coded on the NES for. I mean, initially I think it was exclusive, but then it became like a year. You were given like a year until you could uh, release it on another console and another platform. Um, but yeah, they were super, super restrictive about it. And I mean, that's how they sort of pulled it up out of uh, the, the, the crash and the recession, you know. I... I, I I don't know which, you know, I I don't really know the difference between the two of them enough to have an opinion on that, but... Well, and this is where, like, Tengen comes into, too, because I think Tengen is one of the few who's like, fuck Nintendo certification. We'll just put our own cards in our own shape uh, and fuck them all. Yeah, Tengen figured out that was... I'm, like, 90% sure it was Tengen that they figured out that if you send a electric pulse, like a high-voltage electric pulse, into the chip on the nes that prevents uh that that does the lockout um that you know you like the, the programming on the actual an actual like licensed nes chip would have like the code for the lockout chip and it would open up the you know the rest of the the thing for it and i think tensions just sort of electrocuted the chip until it didn't work and that's how you could play tension games. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and then they fixed that because the NES, the, like the first NES that I had, would not play tension titles. Oh man! Um, so they 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 fixed that, and you know uh, later era uh, NESs could not play any tension games. And you know every time I'd rent a game, I'd be like, oh, you know, I want um, you know whatever the fuck, and they give it to you, and it's like one of those black cartridges, like ah, god damn it, you know. 
Wait, so is, is Tension the company that was making those like hundred carts in one games? Or was no, that no, the no, one no. That those were mostly bootleg. They were making like Bible adventures and those other kind Not of th- like second tier. That's also a separate. So there was there was a number of companies uh, making Nintendo quote unquote bootlegs. Tension was like I think like the most legit of them in that they were like an actual publishing house trying to get actually like you know stuff people want that isn't like either cheap cash-ins which was um there was like a couple of uh japanese companies that were just like really cheap like borderline unplayable games Mm. uh then there was you know the bible adventure stuff which was like these companies i don't think had like the money or the or the pull to be able to officially develop but they knew they had a market and they like i mean I don't know how much Japan would, like, reach out to quash the, like, you know, developing Bible-based Nintendo bootleg game <laughs> market. Right, especially when those were largely, like, just distributed to like, as freebies, you know, like, they could be bankrolled by a church and then, like, just, you know, distributed and given out to the to their flock or whatever, rather than sold yeah, yeah, alongside like, official Nintendo Seal of Quality games in store shelves or whatever. Yeah, I don't think like you could reasonably say that they were like taking a bite out of Nintendo's pie of you know video game uh, sales. They might have the- been using the same trickery, though, because I remember the instructions on the cartridge <laughs> itself being like, you know, insert cartridge, then power cycle the Nintendo five times, and then enjoy the game. <laughs> You know, I've never seen one of those in person. Like, I, I think, like, I, I know people that grew up with, like, them being, like, if not ubiquitous, then, like, available easily. And they were just, like, that was not something I ever saw, like, in Brooklyn growing up. Huh. Uh, but we did get a lot of, like, you know, uh, usually Chinese uh, carts that were, like, you know, a million and one, a thousand and one, and that were just yeah variation, you know, either, like, you know, poorly ported uh like half games or or, or very simple gameplay games or like 30 got a lot of, of them. level one one of super mario brothers with various palette swaps or like slight tweaks or yeah different like physics or whatever yeah yeah, yeah exactly there was games. um oh geez okay yeah. i so, do have bible adventures and exodus though two two like games the actual I carts physically have the i don't have the boxes but i have the carts oh wow yeah that's, that's awesome. pretty cool I want I want to cut back in here and tie some shit together here. Is actually can we take a could just a just call a break right now because it's been about half an hour since our last break and so yeah, maybe let's call this a quick is a break. good punch out punch in. But I, I don't have to get up and walk away. Let's or call anything. a quick break out. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we can just come right back if you want. All right. How long does this podcast usually uh, too go for? too long? <laughs> hour too and a half. Okay. I mean, I'm not like yeah. I'm not in any particular way yeah. uh, raring you're to not, go. You're not but, like in a family way. What? <laughs> That's what they used to call it. Like that, that, that was one of the ways that they referred to being pregnant back when they couldn't say being fucking pregnant on tele. Like Lucy Old Ball, when, when Lucy was pregnant on, on the I Love Lucy. She was not pregnant. She was in a family way. Oh, I have never heard that one. Although yeah. I was at the, uh, I had to buy today. I had to buy five greeting cards today. Are we back? By the way, <laughs> should I? We, we can't I, be and sure. we're back, and we we have been back. Okay. Um. So I had to buy five greeting cards today. I had to buy um one for my sister in law, one for my brother in law, one for their child, my niece. 
who all have birthdays, a wedding card for a wedding that we just went to, and then a wedding card for a wedding that we went to about four months ago. So we were just like, we, we were going to the store, and we're just like, I gotta get one greeting card, because it was just for like the thing, and I'm like, well, I better get another one. Eventually we're like, thinking of, you know, uh, how many, who, what's coming up, and so this is like the most amount of greeting cards I have ever bought in my life, <laughs> that were for like actual use. <laughs> um, but there's, okay, so there appears to be a, uh, like a sub-imprint from or maybe like an imprint of greeting cards called mahogany and i think it is oriented towards black people um just you know by the you know the people appearing on their cards Mm. and one of these specific mahogany cards was like in the you know you know like the the unfortunate event section of like the card aisle where it's just like loss of a pet dead relative um and it just said it didn't say homecoming. It said something very similar to that. And now, am I going to forget the punchline to this entire anecdote? I hope so. Homegoing? I think it was called homegoing. <laughs> and I looked inside, and it's clearly like, we're sorry about um, death. We're sorry that, you know, somebody died, but they have, like, you know, gone to meet their maker. And now I'm just, like, pulling up uh, homegoing in Wikipedia. It's an African-American... Christian funeral tradition, making the going home of the deceased to the Lord or to the heaven. Okay, yeah, I had never heard of that term before. Have you guys ever heard of that term no. before? No, never. I've never heard yep. of it. Oh, that's, I'm um, glad it didn't turn out to be something ultra, like, crypto-racist, like, congratulations <laughs> on getting out of jail or whatever. Like, that was a worry. That's where that story was going. <laughs> no, that's interesting, Because though. that would be bad. Because, that, to be clear, that would be a bad card Not to sell. Not because that would be an appropriate line of cards to sell. And I would be upset about it. Josh, before you steal the baton, can yeah. um, can I pester Yakov a little bit more? No, because just do right, it. Just right before the break... It. I had fu- Did you just I- call me Pastor Yakov? Because yeah. that Pastor sounds pretty Yaakov, good. Yeah. I, well, no, I want with us today is Pastor Yakov Grinberg <laughs> of the uh, Orthodox Russian Methodist Church. Um, because How I just work? sort of a, a accidentally uh, aikidoed him into exactly the question I wanted to ask him, which is: what, what, what? in your in your youth, before you moved to the United States. What was your experience like with video games? Did they, because I... Yeah, yeah, they absolutely were. Um, so, like, the big thing was the Dendi, but that came out after I had already moved to America. I only found that out by, like, more recently immigrated Russian kids. Um, and the Dendi was, like, a it was a uh, NES hardware, just like a hardware clone by a Russian company that played NES games or NES bootleg games. Huh. Um, and you can find, uh, and it had like a, a bunch of original titles, I believe. Um, and you can find like a bunch of stuff about it. Like it's, it's now like a known thing in like retro gaming. And so there's, there's websites about it. It's just a D E N D Y, but that wasn't around, um, or that wasn't around like anywhere near my peer group or whatever. When I was a kid, um, nobody had computers in their homes yet. Hmm. Uh, from what I remember, um, I mean, my dad died when I was three, but he was a programmer. He was a like a COBOL or a Fortran programmer. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm relatively sure that if he had lived, we probably would have had a computer in our house sooner than certain other people, I guess. Sure. Can, can you can you say COBOL in Russian? COBOL? Very I nice. I think it's COBOL. Thank you. That sounds it's a, great. It's an acronym, though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but who cares? <laughs> Not you. Um, Nobody cares about anything. <laughs> Nothing has meaning or we're all going to die. But uh, I the remember there being... Show. So when you guys were, were, were growing up, I don't know what it was like, but did you have like stores that just like happened to incidentally have like an arcade machine in it? 
like a like a Street Fighter machine and like a like a stationary store or I don't know if you have like just like corner stores mini marts or like grocery store mini marts yeah like yeah, places like, where you might be hanging out like a pizza place would almost always oh, have yeah. a couple of arcade games a laundromat had a kind of a fifty fifty chance of having yeah some laundromats always games. like had them yeah because here you got the quarters anyway um no, nothing like a stationary store though but yeah so yeah so here we had them like all over the place and in Russia you had that in um. You had electromechanical games, not uh, digital arcade games with like a CRT monitor, but like electromechanical games. And I made a post on this uh, Metafilter. Well, I mean, like by I made a post, I mean I posted somebody's website that had gathered all the information <laughs> on uh, Soviet electromechanical arcade games. And I think that website's still up. I don't know. Are there show notes for this show? I, I can. I'll, I'll there, yeah, there are. I try to, I try to collect yeah. links. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the uh, the one that I remember most of all, it was uh, you know, it was like it looked like an arcade machine, and it had uh, instead of a screen, it had a, as far as I can tell, replica uh, periscope. Um, like I would, I don't know how I would be able to tell a real one that it was on a ship from like a fake one that was built for this. So as far as like my seven year old self was concerned, it was a, periscope. It was a real periscope. Sure. And inside of it, you saw a silhouette of a warship, and then you would launch torpedoes at it, and you sort of like ping it from one end to the other, or you could let it leave, and then another one come up. There's no like actual like game progression in it. You just see how dexterously you can hit this like warship that's coming across the screen. Question, question, um, quick yes. question. Were these American warships? I don't know how to tell. <laughs> I have no idea how to tell. <laughs> we should. We should. Get my dad to one of these machines. But somebody's made. Uh, somebody made a re. So it's not an emulation because it can't be an emulation, but it's right. a simulation of one of those games in you just like a browser playable on that website. And it, you know, as far as I can tell, it's it's the game as I played it. You know, it's just in in graphics instead of like a physical thing like moving around and physical lights lighting up. But um, so games like that you would see outside of like, you know, places or like, you know, at a mart or something. And then I remember there was at least one straight up arcade. Um, and I don't remember most of the games in it. Most of them, I think, were electromechanical, but there was two digital ones, one of which was a vertical shmup that, uh, you know, just you, you have your little airplane at the bottom and you're blasting other airplanes or spaceships out of the sky. And I don't remember what the hell it was. And another one was uh, the graphics looked um, basically like Atari graphics, like a twenty six Atari twenty six hundred graphic. Mm -hmm. That game looked more like a had more closer to like eight bit graphics from what I remember. Like the blockiness of the graphics was, was very distinct. So the other one had like Atari graphics, but a much much bigger screen. Um, and it was just a racing game. And I remember one of the features of it was that you know it turned night, and then you could only see what's in your headlight illuminates mm -hmm. in the racing game. So I'm pretty sure that was like an actual Atari game that they just poured into an arcade. So those two, those two electronic ones, are were they? Do you think developed in Russia, or they were they uh, games in English, or were they American games oh. or Japanese games localized to Russian or? I don't remember. I mean, the Atari-looking one, I'm 90% sure it's an actual Atari game mm -hmm. that they just, you know, like, got the... I mean, those, those circuit boards, I think, were, like, much, much simpler than, like, Atari ones. Right, and uh, there's very little text yeah. to deal with in those games typically anyways, I guess. Just, like, the... Yeah, exactly. So it'd be, probably is... be a lot easier to pirate that. Yeah. Than you just, you know, you blow up the, the... You blow the image up, and, you know, you just have external controls, and, you know, hey, you got an arcade machine. Right. Um... And then yeah, what about the uh, electromechanical games? Were they developed? Uh, yeah, those those must have been all developed locally. Huh. Uh, 
because yeah i remember those like actually had like you know like marquees and stuff and you know branding and like you know you, they, they'd be like schoolyard familiar things that there was like enough of one in many different places a specific one that was they were definitely like you know a homegrown hmm. uh, like amusement business sort of thing hmm because I've, um, I've been then, to, I think, I mean, here's where I'm going to make a total idiot out of myself to anyone who's ever been to New York. But I went to yes. Coney Island, right? Where they have yeah, the classic I, arcade like machines and pre-CRT arc- machines where you put in a quarter and it basically animates a scene physically. Or when you, when did you go there? Because uh, I mean, that, Coney, yeah, that stuff is 90% all, I mean, I, I, I spent a bunch of summers my okay so I used to go to summer camp because my mom needed something to do with me while she was at work <laughs> right um, and then I aged out of summer camp and my grandmother lived in the projects in Coney Island like right on the boardwalk in like a nicer sort of projects building that was like you know it had like you know security and it wasn't like a completely just run down shithole like my other grandparents lived in who also lived in the projects down there your other grandparents were total shit they were the worst <laughs> what are this guy's deal <laughs> but um yeah so my mom mom sent me to live with her mother that grandmother so i and the apartment was like right on the Coney Island boardwalk mm. and like the walk to where the actual amusements were. It's like, you know, maybe like a 15, 20 minute walk down the boardwalk. And so I spent a lot of time over there. I remember them having a bunch of that stuff and just like less and less as the years went on. And like now it is about 90% redemption games that seem to be iOS games that were blown up <laughs> onto large <laughs> monitors. Um, or just like really simple board game or game show adaptations like Deal or No Deal that like are very glitzy and like, you know, these big machines, lots of lights, lots of video um, sort of thing. A lot of that. And like, I don't know if they have any like, maybe they have like one of the like old electromechanical uh, like light gun sure. um light gun like sort of bar scene where you shoot stuff and things twirl around and the cowboy like you know gets up and drinks <laughs> and like the other guy plays the piano like one of those or two but most of like anything that you would consider like classic arcade stuff in coney island is been very very long gone okay. and the stuff that's left is in very bad condition i'm i'm worried um, now that i'm i'm conflating two different vacations and this was actually somewhere else so <laughs> apologies yeah. to anybody who has caught me being an idiot yeah. just now um but just so, now. Apologies <laughs> to anybody who's been oh, listening to the show. It has long since figured out. It was low-hanging fruit. I apologize. I love you. Um, so, but no, I, I, so you, did you ever, did you or any of your friends ever have like a home console it, video game system or a computer before you moved to the United States? Or was that just I unheard of do, by the time you left? You know what? I, I distinctly remember being like at houses of like friends or acquaintances that age, and I do not remember anybody hmm. having any kind of video game in their house. Like lots of toys and like a toys of relative complexity. Like uh, they had those, you know, like little racetracks and stuff, like the Hot Wheels type racetracks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I do not remember any digital technology in anybody's home hmm. before I came to America. Um, well, and did yeah, you did you not. did you know about that, or did you lust after that at all, or was it just? Uh, kind of oh off yeah, the radar? no, I was I was absolutely obsessed with anything computer or or video game related. I uh, like you know for New Year's, which was the you know gift giving equivalent of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like I remember getting when I was about six or seven years old, 
like a number of books and i recently like i managed to find those books they appear to be like they were looks like they were russian translations of uh british just books about computers and i found like the english translation the russian translation just to see like what is this thing that i was like reading when i was a kid and it's like relatively sophisticated like you know this is what ram is this is what a hard drive is this is what like daisy chained uh computer peripherals are and it was just like it was like stuff i was i guess i was like reading stuff of like relatively you know complex computer stuff at like a young age so yeah i I don't remember a point when I was not like mildly obsessed with digital technology and computers and video games. Mm. I think I was probably about five or six when I um, made my own Nintendo out of cardboard and paper. <laughs> I must have done that as well. And like made a joystick and the ha- joystick handle was like a toilet paper tube and the <laughs> and like I drew uh, I, I had like a cardboard screen and on pieces of paper I drew different screens from like Mario Brothers or whatever and I could drop them in so it looked like it was on the screen and stuff. That's that such was my obsession. And, and I mean, that's a borderline electromechanical game, more or less. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, if you attach like a uh, what do you call it, like a conveyor belt to that, that you know, you're halfway there. Hmm. Um, I uh, yeah. I want to I want to try and tie several things together here all at once and come back to something we were discussing earlier, which is tension. 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 Uh, or probably Tengen, I guess, since it's a Japanese company, but whatever. Uh, Mephi, Mephi. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so with the, the weird carts with the weird sort of like black rounded cartridges that were off brand from the standard Nintendo cartridge layout, but crafted with care and attention. Yes. So Tengen, uh, specifically published a number of games, but one of them was Tetris. Yeah, the, the great that big is, rights oof. argument of the early '80s with uh, Tetris, where everybody except for the guy who actually invented Tetris got a share of that, including I guess the Russian government and also Nintendo and also Tengen. Uh, no one could really agree on what the rights were because everybody was stealing them, including I guess communist Russia at the time. Uh, which I, I say with a certain amount of irony because like it's like I'm just aware of like weird previous generational worries about communist Russia, but I think it was literally the contemporary communist Russian government involved that was taking the money that in theory Alexei Petrovsky or yeah Petronov would have gotten in a uh, capitalist system. I guess anyway. So this guy invented this game, and Tengen published a Nintendo cart, and Nintendo published a Nintendo cart. But the thing is, Tengen, along with being like, you know, a second party or third party, I guess, you know, unofficial company, Tengen was an Atari brand. It was fucking Atari. It was Atari publishing Nintendo games, often without correct licensing. Uh, According to this Wikipedia page I'm looking at, a combination of licensed and unlicensed versions of the same games. So that was Atari trying to, like, stay in the fucking market as a third party publisher on the Nintendo platform with all the weirdness that came out of that. And they had a, they had a good fucking list of games too. There's some like, yep. aside from Tetris, like uh Tubin, which I think of really as the, you know, arcade game, but I guess they put out a, a console version of it. Super sprint Shinobi uh, road blasters, the RBI baseball games, paperboy games, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Mania, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom, which was not a good game, but it was a very, <laughs> 
It was a very oh, gauntlet. Yeah, they they, yeah, gauntlet, they were the ones that had too. gauntlet. Hmm. Yeah, afterburner uh, seven twenty. Uh, yeah, so like it was. It also I had no idea until this like this podcast that this was Atari doing the fucking like turning the fucking screws on this thing, and it sort of makes more sense now because who would have the audacity to like come so hard against Nintendo like that? Oh well, you know Atari who was trying to recover from being destroyed by their own. Uh, hubris and also ET. Uh, right. So yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it just it all comes together. Like we got Russia, we got video games, we got Tengen, we got Atari, we got. I'm excited. I'm excited about that uh, development. Is what I had to say. Yeah, actually, I sold that a lot less well than I thought I was going to. I was really going to go big with that, and now I'm kind of out of steam after two minutes on it. But anyway, that's a thing. That's a thing. The, um, the whole thing between like the the, the rights negotiation between like the Soviet Union and, you know, America and Japan was apparently like a pivotal moment in economic relations between the United States and the Soviet Union. And I don't remember how or why, but it was. And you'll have to trust me on that. <laughs> it's, I mean, maybe it was the, 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 the big, the one big new product category that just came along at that particular time that it would could act as a tipping point. I'm not sure. That's a t- wild, unfounded speculation, but <laughs> that's what I got. Could act as a tipper gore. Hmm. Or a tip O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Tip your waiter. I got nothing. I got nothing. The uh, reason Josh is so in love with Markov chains, I now realize... <laughs> Is that he himself is just like a cyborg running one continuous Markov chain doing crazy word association constantly with no like meaningful context to it ever. Setting aside that deeply fanciful idea, I will say I defy you couldn't possibly prove. No, totally. Yeah, I. I will say this. I am willing to put money down that in a head-to-head improvised competition with anybody on the planet listening to this podcast, I could do a more realistic impression of a Markov chain in action than them. I, the, <laughs> the challenge is it's like the Turing test for Josh is like just put someone in a in a blind chat with a Markov bot and a blind chat with Josh and make them identify which one was which. <laughs> yes, I feel like I feel like I could put up a really good fight. And and I say this as someone who loves Markov chains obviously, but also uh is really sick and tired of other people's bad impersonations of Markov chains because it comes up. Uh, yeah. Like people start making jokes about like oh blah 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 bleep bloop bloop. And it's like no, you don't fucking you aren't nailing it. There's a very specific set of patterns of inflection points in, in Markov chains that right. uh, just, people Josh, don't just fucking... Just keep calm and Markov on. Shut up. Shut up. Oh, God. Oh, I just oh wanted God. to say one thing. I just watched the Next Generation episode, uh, The Game, which is one of my favorite Next Generation episodes Is that the one with a ever. shitty video game with the visor? Yeah. And, and you know why? Because it has a shitty video game in it. Yes, it does. Literally it's really, why it's a childhood favorite of mine. It's a really bad video game. Like, it's clear. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like Discs of Tron, but, like, not as good. And I mean, Discs I guess of Tron it's better not if it's actually... Game. Yeah, it was... I Yeah, it was... Discs of Tron was not a great game, no. Um... But yeah, I, I assume it's better if it's actually like actively releasing serotonin into you. Oh, sure. Sure. Or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like that entire episode can like easily read as Riker goes to Ryza and brings back a bag of Molly. 
Yeah, good. and like he's just like, hey, I got something you should try. Well, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't they, Wesley that brought the game back onto the no, ship. No, no, it was Riker. Riker. No, it was Riker. Riker was messing around with some saboteur, and she's like, hey, try this. He's like, sure, I'll try anything, baby. And then he's he's the fucking like carrier of this virus back to the ship, and he basically nearly destroys the entire Enterprise crew. And never gets in trouble for it because, like, it's it's oh. next generation. People okay. don't have consequences. It's Wesley's the one who loses the nanobots on the ship. Okay, sorry. Oh I yes. think I we, we, Yeah, Wesley certainly did a number of dumb <laughs> fucking things, but in this case, it was totally right. There, just fucking some random chick on Risa that led to badness that almost destroyed the Enterprise and, by extension, right. And he brings back the Mexico Federation. City, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then and, and then Wesley's like, I don't know. I don't think I want to try drugs. And it's like, yay, Wesley's our hero because he's totally square. And also, look, it's uh, uh, Ashley Judd, who was also in that. You know, it, she it, was a worse episode than the game is the X-Files episode that William Gibson wrote. Oh, God. Wait, which one oh, of the two episodes? The worst Gibson wrote? of the two terrible episodes. The he wrote? one where they go into the video game. Oh, yeah. I remember this one. Yeah, yeah. that's. An episode Very about a video bad. game written by a man who doesn't like to play video games ever. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I wrote this episode about video games on a typewriter, which is the only type <laughs> writing tool I'm familiar with. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Wait, you know he actually wrote Neuromancer on a typewriter? He did not own a computer no, at the no, time? No, no, yeah, I know that. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that. Like, I don't have a problem with someone, like, writing cyberpunk, because it's all fucking futuristic imaginative yeah. shit. But he wrote a fucking episode about more or video less contemporary game. video games based on things he found inside his own anus because he just reached up there and pulled them out. And he's like, yeah, that's an episode. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that's how a video game works. You stand still and yet shout while shooting a gun because, you know... Right, in the laser tag arena while you wear special sunglasses. Well, you know, if you, if you, if you look at the, the contemporary video game controllers, it had a single button that you just held down to shoot. That was the entire controller. It was just You just held a button down to shoot because that's how... Ah, oh, Jesus. I'm... I, I'm way, I'm still way too angry at that episode. It's so bad. And why? It, and the thing is, it was the second one. Like Chris Carter had him write that first episode he wrote. It was like very William Gibson-y. And it was kind of shitty, but at least it had some interesting stuff going on. It was kind of funny. As it was at least thing. very William Gibson-y. It had yeah. like a... <laughs> you had your you cyberpunk know. and you had, you know, and, and the... Molder tough people in trench coats that his limbs have been amputated was at least a good scene even if it was all very telegraphed but you know Chris Carter said you know this was this was pretty solid but let's let's go even further let's have William Gibson write another episode and it's like I don't understand how much cocaine was involved that that happened because like I don't ah do you remember Chris Carter's show Harsh Realm no, no. I know nothing about this so so the title comes from the uh, grunge speak hoax. Do you guys know what that is? No. Oh. We're when going um, somebody here. called the offices, this is just going to be, eventually I'll get to a point. Yeah, the grunge speak hoax by Megan Jasper of Sub Pop Records. Somebody from the Times called her, uh, called Sub Pop to be like, hey, we need to know some grunge. Oh, uh, fuck. I remember you know, this slang. Now. Yeah. And then she gave him like a total, like a whole bunch of bullshit. And one of them was Harsh Realm. It was made by Chris Carter into a series where um, a guy that programs a virtual reality video game, the things in the video game come to life and begin trying to kill him and other people. So the problem here, as much as anything, is Chris Carter, like just actively Chris Carter thinking like this is a good idea. It's got to be. It's got to be. He loved this concept. 
That's terrible. That's I so think bad. I, you know what I think happened? I think Chris Carter went to William Gibson and be like, hey, I want you to write me a story where people are running around inside of a video game. Gibson's just like, I don't know what to do with that. But Terry O'Quinn was in it. Now I kind of sort of want to watch it anyway. Terry O'Quinn was, uh, he was, he was uh, Locke from Lost. Hmm. Don't tell me what I can't make a shitty video game episode about. <laughs> and Samantha think- Mass had this and D.B. Sweeney. Anyway. As this episode devolved into Josh reading us an IMDb pitch. This <laughs> has turned into We Have Such Films to Show You Briefly. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. A slowly, slowly <laughs> glossing IMDb page. That's why I Relative like info hardware. out loud. Yeah, that is a large part of that podcast. <laughs> the infection. It's crossed. It's jumped podcasts. It's jumped hosts. It's inescapable. <laughs> oh, you know what? I was thinking of a completely different TV show about um, a video game that comes to life and starts killing people. <laughs> when I was thinking of Harsh Realm, there was another show of that concept on at the same time, and it was called Deadly Games. And uh, yeah, it's the same concept. A video game comes to life and starts killing people. And uh, it's full of like video game versions of people they knew because they programmed their friends into it because this obviously works like the same thing you do when you have a writer who write writes you know everybody on the show into the thing that they're doing because that's how you get everybody on the show into it starring christopher um, lloyd yeah christopher lloyd was the bad guy wow. uh he wore a white suit um and the his show's called Jackal. deadly games deadly games that's a little on the nose it was premiered on upn back huh. to take UPN his mind off thing. his divorce antimatter physicist gus lloyd started programming an action video game where he was a hero. His ex-wife, Lauren Ashbourne, was a sidekick, and his father, Jordan Kenneth Lloyd, was Sebastian Jackal, a satanic figure who wanted to destroy the world with an army of thugs based on the people who made Gus's life a living hell. Gosh, brain, brain scan was more influential than we ever knew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that, that- I, now that I, like, I'm reading the plot of, like, it's just like a man taking a divorce very, very badly and going slightly insane and then poisoning the world yeah with uh video game characters and this i feel like this 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 whole basic premise would read a lot less sympathetic like now than 20 years ago too leonard nimoy directed an episode of it well good for him good for him. (laughs) the pilot leonard nimoy directed the pilot of the show leonard nimoy's ghost will forever haunt the pilot of that show That's that's how ghosts work, unfortunately, on the internet. It's a really it's a downgrade for ghosts. Used to be architecture, families, houses, now IMDB pages are where they're stuck. I was gonna say, do you guys think that like in the, the in the nineties and maybe even like through the early two thousands, it was a lot easier to get a medium budget FX heavy show on the air? Sure. Like something like Deadly Games, would you be able to get that on the air now easily? Well, Not, can you well, can you say a, a comparably budgeted show that I actually have seen from that same time? Like, because I'm just trying to picture what budget we're talking about. Mantis. Do you remember Mantis? No. Sounds uh, great though. <laughs> he was a disabled uh, black scientist who. Uh, made an exoskeleton suit that let him walk and also fight crime. Let's, let's be clear, I, I enjoyed this is it a lot. M.A.N.T. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. What I'm taking from this is that you really paid a lot of attention to shitty, like mid budget sci fi TV in like the mid to late 90s. I spent eight hours in front of a television every day in the mid to late 90s. <laughs> 
Well, I'm gonna say now. I'm gonna say early to late '90s. Oh, and the the pilot was produced by Sam Raimi. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. When is uh when when is uh we have such TV shows to show you gonna debut? Oh, geez, we would have a lot of material there, wouldn't we? Uh, Yakov, it has been fantastic having you on. Yeah, this was delightful. I enjoyed this very much, and thank you for having me on. And thank you, Jesse, for being on. We have such films to show you. We'll, we'll, cl- uh, we'll cross-link the two episodes. It'll be a, a parallel universe a crossover episode scenario. Yes, yes. Like when the X-Files and what was that show that was on at the same time that was like about... Family the- Matters? <laughs> yeah. Millennium? <laughs> You've watched a lot more TV than I have, so if there is an X-Files <laughs> Family Matters crossover, I can't Family wait Family Matters see it. crossed over with Full House. Millennium is the one I think I'm That's thinking canon. of. That's yeah. canon. <laughs> Godspeed. Okay, bye. All right. Okay. Good job, everybody. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs>